Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome back. It's amazing to see just how many people are tuning into Food for Thought. So may I just share a big thank you for all of your love and support. And I'm so excited to bring you guys Series 3. I'm delighted to share this series is in partnership with Heck. Being an independent and family-owned business, they pull out all the stops to bring that farmer's market quality to the supermarket shelf. Plant-based eating is on the rise, and heck are paving the way forwards when it comes to veggie sausages. They have the power to sway even the most adamant of meat eaters. Believe me, I've seen it. The impressively original flavors, the super green with spinach and kale, Indian-inspired Bollywood bangers, Thai-infused sweet fusion and fiery beetroot and horseradish, they are so incredibly tasty and versatile, I genuinely can't decide on a favorite. The range can be found online at heckfood.co.uk as well as in all major supermarkets. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic and author of Renourish and Top of Your Game. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. I wonder if you think you know what the world's biggest killer is. Smoking, cancer, road accidents? You might be surprised to hear that it is, in fact, heart disease. According to the World Health Organization, over 18 million people die from it every single year. That's over 30% of all global deaths. But how do we know if we're at risk of heart disease? And do we have any control over reducing this risk? To help us answer these critical questions and hopefully help save lives is Professor Martin Cowie, consultant cardiologist at Imperial College London. Hello, Martin. Nice to be here. Great. It's great to have you here. I think that in terms of talking about the topic that we're discussing today, it's definitely something that most people listening will know somebody who it's affected or they have personally been impacted by it. So could you start by explaining what is meant by heart disease for us? 
Well, heart disease, as you say, runs in many people's families, so they will know somebody that's got it. And it's kind of a very broad term that covers mm. anything that can affect the heart. Mm. But the particularly common form in the UK and in European countries is furring up of the arteries going to the heart. So yes. lots of different terms for that, but it can lead to a heart attack, mm-hmm. can lead to the need for a bypass operation. Um, It can give you angina, which just means chest pain when Mm. you're exercising. So that's really what most people think about as heart disease. But other people bandy around terms like cardiac arrest, which actually just means your heart stopped. So that's a different thing. It's quite serious. Pretty serious if it's not restarted. And then heart failure, which is when the heart doesn't pump properly and you're a bit breathless with that. So lots of different terms, but heart disease generally furring up of the arteries. Yes, I think that you're right. That's what most people would look at it for. And could we discuss maybe what happens when somebody is suffering from, from this, for instance, or any one of those symptoms? Is it raised blood pressure? How does that really work? Well, I don't want to scare people listening. No. But generally, furring up starts when you're a teenager. and then accelerates through life. And we know the factors that make it more likely you're furring up. Um, If you're male, I'm afraid the risk is higher than if Mm. you're female, particularly until the menopause, but then Mm -hmm. women catch up. Why Um, is that exactly? It's not entirely clear why it is. I'm I'm sure it's partly related to the effects of estrogen Mm -hmm. um, that women are protected from furring up. But, of course, Mm. it doesn't make you immune. So a lot of people with heart disease, uh, women have a slow diagnosis because they themselves don't take it very seriously. They think it can't be my heart. Mm. And also their doctors don't take it as seriously as they should. But in general, you probably have heart problems 10 years later than a man. But coming back to your question, what other factors? So having diabetes also accelerates the Mm -hmm. furring up process. Um, Not exercising and being very sedentary. And of course, we should classify as type 2 diabetes. But both type 1 and type 2 increase your risk of furring up of the arteries. Although it's a lot better now than it used to be, and I'm sure we'll go on to talk about the things we can do to change this Mm. risk. Um, Being overweight, probably a small risk factor, not Mm -hmm. quite as bad as you think in terms of furring off the arteries. High blood pressure also, and high cholesterol particularly can fur up your arteries. Okay, so so on cholesterol, Mm. I think um, it's obviously a heavily debated type of topic. There will be lots of people championing different kind of um, opinions when it comes to this. But I often hear people referring to cholesterol as as bad. And we know that there's a different breakdown with LDL, so low density lipoproteins, or HDL, so high density. Could could you break that down for us as yeah. well? I think Carol Vodeman was the one that first talked about good cholesterol really? and bad cholesterol. <laughs> meaning the good was the HDL that yeah. sucks the furring up out of your artery, and the LDL is a bad cholesterol that furs it all up. Mm. But we all need cholesterol because it's a key part of our cells and our bodies. So we need some, mm. but sadly, we've all got probably too much. And that does speed up the furring up process. Some kids are unfortunate enough to be born with extremely high cholesterol. So instead of the normal, let's say, being 3, 4, 5, mm. they're born with cholesterol of 10, 11, 12. And they actually have heart attacks as teenagers and very young adults because their cholesterol is just so high and so toxic. And is that a genetic component? That's a genetic thing. It's called familial hyperlipidemia, or FH. And there's a patient group in this country, in the UK, that's trying to raise the profile of that and also to help get screening for it. So if you've a very bad family,
family history of heart problems, then you definitely should get tested for your cholesterol to pick that up. So good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, it's about trying to get the balance in the right direction. And I've just realized, I forgot to mention, one of the most important okay. things is cigarette smoking. Oh, of Whatever course. Whatever your risk factors are, <laughs> cigarette smoking just is the whammy on top of all of that. Mm. So if there's only one thing your listeners hear from the whole of our <laughs> podcast, please get help to stop smoking because it really accelerates the furring up process. Yeah, you'll hear all sorts of people. I think back in the day when cigarette smoking was obviously first coming around, people like, oh, it's good for the heart and all those kind of myths. It's could it be further from the truth. Exactly. There's no good things about cigarette smoking no. from the heart point of view. No, exactly. So you touched on the topic of it could be genetic. Now, this is an interesting thing because I think a lot of people panic if they have, let's say, a blood prick in their local gym that will tell them they've got high cholesterol. What do they actually want to be looking for in that case? Because I know the over 40s in this country are, are kind of encouraged to go and get health checks. Yeah. So cholesterol is one of the risk factors for this. But, you know, if you have no other risk factors and your cholesterol profile between the good and the bad is mm. not too bad, then you may not actually fur up very much at all mm. or it may not cause problems. Mm-hmm. It's about putting all of the information together. So I've tested all of these cholesterol kits. You can buy them in boots. You just yeah. stab yourself and you look at the color <laughs> and everything. Good, you're, you're okay with that. <laughs> um, and that's fine, but it doesn't mm. go quite far enough. Mm. So just knowing your total cholesterol is not enough information to be useful. So I think that's where having a check and somebody actually chats to you and puts it in context with your age and your family history and your mm. other risk factors is really important. So it's yeah. a kind of an entry thing. At least yeah. you're interested, you're checking it. If it's sky high, of course, you need to have attention. But for most people, it'll be kind of in the what we call normal range, but that's normal for UK, which doesn't mean healthy. Um, but you need to get some advice about how, what it means. I'm very happy with the fact that you touched on the the kind of criteria being in the UK because obviously it's very difficult to give bespoke information on a public health level and we're always having to come up with something that is achievable rather than being optimally healthy perhaps. Yeah, indeed. And if we're looking at things we can do that play a role, obviously diet is my my bread and butter, let's Mm. say. Are there things that specifically can help us reduce our risk in in diet? In terms of diet, yes. I think keeping Mm. a healthy diet is really important, but also keeping your weight under control. Most people tend to put on weight as they get older, and it's a Mm. gradual process. So they put Mm. on a kilogram or two each year, but after 10 years, you know, it's quite a lot. Mm. After 20 years, it's a huge amount, and as you know, your metabolic rate drops, so you need to eat less as you get older. Mm. Many people don't adjust. these depressing factors. (laughs) They become less active, and then they wonder why they're getting a little bit bigger as time goes on now it it is about balancing things and thinking about okay how can i improve things and i always like it like a bit like an insurance policy Mm. so it's never too late to start it Mm. but you should always be investing in your future heart health yeah so whatever you're doing you can make some changes to improve that and reduce risk and i think weight is quite a controversial topic as well because how do you define a healthy weight now there's people that argue that bmi isn't an accurate measure um you can be healthy at varying shapes and sizes so how would you advise people to keep a tab on oh yeah this is a bit too far now and would it be to tell them to make dietary changes immediately, like lower their salt intake perhaps? Or? I think diets, as you know, it's a long-term thing and people get into habits and it's quite difficult to change your habits and you have to fit into your lifestyle and mm. most of it, there's lots of things we've got to achieve and we're eating on the run and we haven't yep. got the time to do things and we kind of know what we should be doing but often don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of trying to mix that in and just 
try and make healthier choices. It's a bit like exercise. Mm. You have a choice. You know, you go into a building and you think, well, there's the stairs and there's the elevator. What am I going to use? That's a choice. It's a daily choice in my life. (laughs) Easy to make these little changes. I think Mm. also for diet, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more, there are some easy things you can do which put you in a healthier direction. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. I I had a client this morning and we were discussing that she'd read somewhere that dairy is now very good for heart health. So but then there's other people obviously that argue that still actually saturated fat is not great for heart health. There's lots of different media messages. Yeah. So in terms of giving patients advice in that area, could you firstly tell us what your view is on the whole, is dairy good for heart health or not really? Come down to butter, cheese, milk? Yeah, I think, you know, the old story that margarine was always better than butter, I think, has been thrown out the window. Oh, yeah. And it's probably actually the opposite. Mm. So we know a lot more about it. And what's sometimes worrying is that the media loves news stories and mm. scare stories and get plastered all over the front pages. And then everybody goes, well, they said that last year. Now they say something different. So nobody knows anything. So I'll just continue with what I'm doing. Yeah. But as you know, the basic messages haven't changed. Mm. And that is trying to keep your weight under control, mm-hmm. trying to have plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables and mm-hmm. British people are not good at fresh fruit and vegetables particularly <gasps> Martin, men it's it's, ter- it's terrible yeah, yeah. we're not getting our five a day not anywhere near five no, a day no you know some people think chips is a vegetable in yeah. some parts of the country well it probably is a source of vitamin C for some people and that's an even more worrying um, topic really yeah I mean you mentioned vegetables what about fiber because I've always been told more fiber better for the heart Well, I think there's some evidence that fiber, and particularly oat-type fiber, can help reduce cholesterol a little bit, and that's important. So I think some fiber in your diet is good. More fresh fruit and vegetables. Try, and when you're having meat, if you like eating meat, not to make it always red meat, but white meat is probably better for you. But, you know, having something once or twice a week is fine. What you don't want to do is become an obsessive about every single thing that you do because you know it's your life you've got to get on and enjoy it so when I'm seeing patients it's very much trying to understand where they are at the moment Mm -hmm. what do they want to achieve and how can we work towards that and quite Mm -hmm. often what alarms me is people have a shock let's say they have a heart attack or they have need an operation and suddenly they decide to change every single thing in their life and that is not sustainable because if you've done the same things for 55 years, suddenly changing is very unlikely to continue. So mm-hmm. I think it's about making small changes. Mm. And also within families, you know, if your partner is not going to make the change, it's very difficult to continue with it. What a good topic to raise, because actually it's the people you live with, you surround yourself with, the environment, what makes you happy. Yeah. All these factors can contribute to health. It's not as simple as a black or white, well, if you eat salt, you will have heart disease. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And it's also, it's not just about each individual food. I see some people saying, look Mm -hmm. at the labeling on food in the supermarket, choose the green things. Well, you can't make a nice meal from just green things. You've got to mix and and put together. It's about the balance in your diet. And sometimes an occasional treat is very good for mental health. Oh my goodness, I couldn't agree more. I'm very much of the belief that if you don't allow yourself enjoyed items, you're more likely to engage in really unhealthy behaviors for your mental health and your body. So I was always um, under the impression as well that you can make huge differences of a diet to help those cholesterol profiles so perhaps the HDL and the LDL yeah. um, are you also of the belief that of course if you have more healthy fats perhaps in your diet when I say healthy I mean the monounsaturated mm. fatty acids things like avocados guys nuts seeds yes I think that can make some difference to you and for mm. over a lifetime that probably will reduce the risk of, of you furring up mm. I think 
probably at some point we need to to mention the fact that if you do have furring up to the extent you've had a heart attack or you've had a stroke or mm. you've got some problem with the circulation in your legs, then diet is an important part of that. Yes. But you will need additional treatment to get yeah. your cholesterol right down much more than you could ever achieve okay. by just diet. Some people are very diet sensitive, though. So, mm. for example, some of my patients who are just worried because of their family history, but they don't have problems as yet, thankfully, they change their diet and they actually get a 10 or 15 percent reduction in their total cholesterol they get mm. a slight bump up in their good cholesterol and a big mm. reduction in their bad cholesterol and that's great but that doesn't happen for everyone no. some people can become really strict uh, kind of take everything out of their diet and actually makes not that much difference to your mm. cholesterol mm. so we are all humans we're all different we're yes. all different genes different response yep. to things but on average we know what good looks like we do and that leads me on to the topic you've discussed on medication and I suppose statins because I went to a talk I think it was the Guild of Writers or, or something about three three years ago where there was some quite controversial topics going on surrounding the discussion of statins. First of all, would you be kind enough to share with us what a statin is, what it does, and why there is now a bit of a divide on this subject? Yeah, so I I don't think there's much of a divide in terms of most medical people. Good. (laughs) Because we probably have more large-scale human trials of this drug class than any other drug that's prescribed in the world. That's really good to know. So across everything, heart attack, after bypass, um, after stroke, after all of these things, we've got Mm. all of these trials, and they show on average that people do very, very much better on taking them. So that's why statins are in all professional guidelines Mm. in every country in the world. It's yeah. not a grand conspiracy. No, it's which because is what the evidence <laughs> is really overwhelming. Yes. I think where people run into problems is where a doctor then says, well the guideline says you must do this. So I don't care about you as a person. If you don't do this, you're just not taking the right treatment. Mm. And that of course is not what medicine's about. It's about choice. It's mm. about explaining the evidence and mm. why you're on balance going to do much better. Every drug has side effects. Statins actually have very few side effects and very rarely cause serious problems. But some people do get muscle aches and pains. But how often do you get muscle aches and pains? Oh, it's a daily All the thing, time. Muscle. You can easily <laughs> to blame the drugs. So yeah. serious problems are not common. What's really worrying, though, is that people that stand up and say there's a grand conspiracy and we're poisoning people and we shouldn't be using statins, then means that people stop taking the statins. Mm. Now, the risk of you having a second heart attack or a stroke then goes up and somebody's published a publication just very recently showing that in the UK alone 10,000 plus people have suffered a second heart attack or stroke Mm. because of what they read about statins being bad. So I think it's really important to try and balance things. Nothing is always 100% good, 100% Mm. bad. It's about tailoring advice to the individual but on average statins are a very good thing I'm so glad they're around yes and that's an excellent excellent way of putting it and a good way of knowing how to distinguish good when I say good health professionals I mean somebody that's going to give a balanced opinion rather than forcing something in in a very extremist type of manner because that's what I call scaremongering quite frankly and it's almost like repeating a newspaper headline to the general public Mm. whereas as you said one size doesn't fit all but the evidence is they are very beneficial what about other kind of areas where heart disease can be treated how how can we treat it so we've got statins yeah what about methods like surgery yeah so 
uh, if you do get furring up in your arteries, yes. if it blocks off completely and mm-hmm. damages, you, let's say it's the heart and you have a heart attack, then hopefully nowadays you come to medical attention really quickly mm. and you've blue lighted, as we call it, in an ambulance to the nearest heart attack centre. Okay. And they will try and open up that artery and stop any damage to your heart. Gosh. And that happens now in the UK. We've spent a lot of time in the last 20 years mm. reorganising services to do it. Oh, really? So every area is covered and it's got a big heart attack centre. A bit mm. like we've got acute stroke units everywhere now mm. as well. So you can get very quickly to the best possible world-class treatment. Wow. Sometimes people, of course, don't realise they're having a heart attack and the symptoms are not as classical as they might be. What, what would that look like if well, you don't really realise but there's something happening? I mean, the pain of a heart attack is, some people say it's not really a pain, it's just a heaviness in their chest, which is really unpleasant and they can feel nauseous and sick. Then they think, well, because I'm feeling nauseous, maybe it's my stomach. Well, it could be anxiety, heart, yeah. Or I don't want to bother anyone. Mm. Um, and they play it down. Even doctors are not very good at recognising a heart attack when it occurs to them. So it's obviously not... <laughs> You know, so obvious to many mm. people. Mm. So let's say you you present late and you do have a blocked artery and you don't get to the heart attack centre and they don't open up your artery with a, and put a little stent in to hold it open. Yeah. So you've damaged your heart muscle. Now, if it's bad enough, you have heart failure where the heart's not pumping properly. But there's lots of modern treatments for heart failure. Um, lots of different drugs, lots mm. of different pacemakers and mm. different things. And also for people with heart failure, that specific problem, diet is also important mm. because the more salt you have in your diet, the more fluid you retain, the more mm. breathless you might come. So mm. we do need to talk about salt as well as an important I part would like of the diet. to actually because it came up. I mean, this podcast is coming out on a different date. But once again, salt is in the headlines at the moment as well in relation to high consumptions of processed food foods and red meat and that sort of thing. Now, the government guidelines for salt, that's something that has been campaigned on for many a year now, trying to reduce the levels we eat as a nation on a whole. Do you see a large correlation then with high salt diets? I think the evidence is pretty good. The more salt on average a country takes, the higher their blood pressure levels. And we know blood pressure in the long term can lead to things like heart failure, stroke, and kidney problems. Mm. So we'd like the blood pressures to be lower, and also we'd like it not to go up with age, which is a very strong trend in Western countries, largely driven by salt. Of course. Putting on weight, etc., yeah. drives it up. Drinking too much alcohol drives mm. up blood pressure as well. But there's actually been a concerted effort um, by medical professionals, the government, and a little bit by the food industry to reduce the amount of salt in food because most people don't realize... Um, that salt is actually pre-put into things like bread is the largest source of salt in yeah. many people's diets. It's in everything. Consumer mm-hmm. things, low-fat things, often they put salt in to well, make it more cereals, tasty. Um, cereals are terrible for salt yeah. and sugar. Frozen veggie burgers, sausages these yep. days, marketed healthy items all contain yep. salt. And there's also a difference between sodium and salt, which yep. differs on a lot of labels yes. sometimes. So. so I mean, it's very easy to take more salt than you realize. It's not just about salt you add when you cook or on the table. That's the minimum, you know, the the minority of the salt. So Mm. I think people being aware of that and also choice, you know, bag of crisps once a month. Nobody is going to drop dead because of that, are they? But if you take that every day as a part of your lunch. Or two or three times a day, I know people. (laughs) Then, you know, it's a big hit, but it's got all that salt in it. It's very easy to take the whole day's um, requirements of salt and one big hit so mm. I think we have to be careful of that we are getting better it takes a while to lose the taste for salt so we're getting there but we could do a lot better that's for sure 
I'm so happy you brought up that subject. I feel like salt had got forgotten about because everyone's so heavily focused on sugar these mm. days or um, perhaps plant-based diets and other, and other remits. But salt has a huge, huge impact. And we actually have another podcast recording that everyone listening should check out on the current government kind of guidelines around salt and sugar and fats and that kind of thing. But it's very important for your overall health. And I've obviously watched you, Martin, give various different types of lectures. And you have given so many and something that you often touch on is an aging population which you've just said as well how is the increasing life expectancy of the uk now impacting these figures we're all living longer aren't we which is great success i don't know about you but i'm quite keen on living quite a long life (laughs) a a healthy ripe old life (laughs) so it's about that so there's lots of good news here and our diets are better the smoking rates are also much better than they were we've got better health services it's completely Mm -hmm. different i think the Mm -hmm. nhs was set up in 1948 just after the second world war at that time average life expectancy was 65 (gasps) for a man it's now 79 60s young now Absolutely. Yeah. So it's completely changed. Mm. Um, so we have to think about a long life ahead of us. But the good news is from heart point of view, at every age, we're lower risk than we used to be in the Amazing. UK. So that is really good. But of course, we live a lot longer. And age, I'm afraid, brings all of these problems with it. So mm. as you get older, there's a higher risk. And of course, you've survived infection because it's been treated. You've survived cancer, maybe it's been treated now with modern drugs. Mm. And you're living into the age group where the furring up process can cause a difference. And of course, the other big thing is dementia. Of course. Which is often triggered by furring up of the blood vessels to the brain. So that's a really difficult challenge. But we think that if you have a lifetime of good control of your blood pressure, of your cholesterol, of the furring up things, the risk of dementia is also lower. So I think that's a really important point to, to remind people about. I didn't about. know that. So there's a large kind of correlational link between dementia and yeah. heart disease. Yeah, vascular dementia is, is still a very common cause of, of failure of your brain as you get to the end of your life, which I think all of us would like to avoid for yeah. anyone. Well, how are we going to be able to cope with the amount of treatments? I mean, as we get older, the strain on the NHS is getting bigger and bigger. Do we even have the ability to cope at the moment or are we... Are we I, th- I think we do actually okay. a good job. Yes. And I think we've got one advantage in this country is that everybody is covered by the safety net. So you get treatment. It's hard to remember in the UK what it was like when actually you needed to have money to have treatment. Mm. Some countries in the world, that's still the same. Thank mm. God that's not the case. We're so very the NHS fortunate. is there. I think a lot of us, though, it's working in partnership with people. The health service is not going to solve all your problems. Mm-mm. It's there to pick you up if something nasty happens to you. But actually, a lot of this is about your own choices as you go through life Mm. and establishing healthy things Mm. um, um, for your physical and mental health. Mm. GPs are there as are hospitals to help give you advice. But also, it's not just the GP, it's the dietitian, Mm. it's the practice nurses, Mm. lots of people around. And then, of course, it's um, just educating the public about what good looks like and making it fashionable to be healthy. We can't pin the onus on one person, like you said. And the difficult thing that I hear a lot is, I don't care, I want to eat whatever I want, or I want to live my life the way I want. But actually, I mean, fair enough. And this probably is a little bit of a moral, ethical, um, tricky discussion. But surely every single person has a responsibility for their health, not just for themselves. But if they then in this country intend on using the NHS services... There must be a knock-on effect here. 
Yes, well, there is. And of course, it's always, as you say, a difficult debate. But mm. I mean, the chief medical officer at the moment, Dame Sally Davis, I think gets it right in terms of tone. She said it's our responsibility as a health service to give people Yes. good information yes. and then of course it's up to them to choose what they want to do of it's course. not a nanny state but no. our job is to make sure that people do know what's happening but I take your point I never say to my patients you must never 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 no. never you know a whole long list of things that give you pleasure I'm going to tell you to stop all of them oh, but it's just not going to work do it. no, it's not going to work so happy. you have to say to them what's achievable and often that's not actually the person it's their partner mm. that actually helps that happen yeah cigarette smoking often an example somebody will okay. say to me i've got a very stressful life yeah the only way i get through it is by cigarette smoking mm -hmm. and i say well you know what everybody has quite a stressful life yeah and we've got things to help you stop smoking mm -hmm. same with diet you say well mm -hmm. i really like this i really like that and i say to them, mm -hmm. you don't have to stop eating that food like cheese yeah. you don't have to stop that altogether no. but please don't take you know, a huge chunk of it every night as no, your supper I know. why don't you change that and they yeah. go, okay i said why don't you give yourself a little treat once a week exactly. Exactly. You can look forward to that. And the rest mm. of the time, you can be really pleased with yourself yeah. that you're behaving. So I think it's it's about being an intelligent and kind of empathetic person. Which is a very lovely quality that hopefully the majority of almost all doctors out there, you know, yeah. anyone seeing patients would have. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. When you mention cigarette smoke, can we just discuss how that affects the heart? So it's the chemicals in the smoke, is it, that damages? Lots of things. I mean, cigarette smoke actually has about a thousand different chemicals in it. The nicotine is a thing that's addictive. Yeah. Uh, it also makes your heart race and puts your blood pressure up. But the, the things that are really toxic are all the tar-type things, the kind mm. of complex hydrocarbons that you're 
inhaling and putting right into your lungs, right into your bloodstream. Within seconds of the first puff, your blood will be thicker, more likely to clot, more likely for you to have a heart attack, all of those issues. Whilst you get the nicotine hit, all of the other things are also kicking in. So it is very addictive, though. Nicotine is one of the most addictive chemicals. So I always say to people, I do understand it's not a question of willpower, not at all. This is really um, a very addictive habit, so you need help. And now we have ways of replacing the nicotine. E-cigarettes, lots of debate about that. They've not been around for very long. But I think all of the evidence so far, they may not be harm-free, but they're a hell of a lot safer than cigarette smoking. So I think anything that can get you off the cigarette smoking is a good thing from my point of view no that that's really that's really wonderful to hear there's lots of technology around as well that can help us i mean apple and samsung they've, they've brought out these watches that can monitor your heart rate mm. and lots of different aspects of your life what, what do you think about this is, is it useful is it accurate well i think anything that increases people's interest in their own health and the state of the heart is good mm-hmm. i think this is a journey so technology is finding its space it doesn't want to worry people on the other hand if it flags up a problem earlier that's got to be good yes doctors are often in two minds about it they worry about getting swamped with a whole lot of worried well as as they would call it yeah on the other hand if you get somebody flagged up that has a dangerous heart rhythm that might lead on to stroke, if that gets picked up by an Apple Watch or whatever mm-hmm. technology early, that's fantastic news. So it's a kind There's of a journey of discovery about yeah. tech. I, yeah. I say it's a democratization of healthcare. So instead mm. of you having to come to me and my equipment at my convenience, it kind of rolling out. So it's kind of more, it's your health, it's your technology, it's your wearable. But we have to then integrate the information in a way that makes sense. And it's a double-edged sword because yeah. then how do we cope with the capacity of more people being aware? Yes. Mm. But I think, you know, I think that the big tech companies are aware of this and they're yeah. going quite cautiously. If you look at them talking about the technology, mm. they often say this is not like going to your doctor. It's not a diagnostic. No, exactly. It's just maybe something that flags something up. Yeah. But you don't look at diabetes. We talked about it earlier. Mm. It's great to see. Um, Theresa May had this patch on her arm. And okay. Because everybody saw that she had the patch yeah. on the arm. It was then made available across the whole NHS to certain t- wow. types of people with diabetes. Wow. They can monitor their own blood sugar mm. without jabbing themselves mm. anytime they like just mm. by moving their phone over the little patch. Oh, my goodness. And they can then adjust their insulin and their insulin pumps. That is so incredibly good. I can't get over it. Yeah, I know. It's great. And that's just in the last five years. Wow. Who knows? Ten years from now, what we'll be talking about. I know. Technology really does blow my mind. And in terms of us in the UK, so the stats I've got from the British Heart Foundation say that 425 people die from cardiovascular disease in the UK every day which sounds, it just sounds extortionate. So how does the UK compare to other countries? Well, in a very British way, it's kind of middle of the pack. Okay. So we're <laughs> a lot better than countries. Former Soviet countries have got a yeah. terrible rate of heart disease. Yeah. And it's bad diet, too much alcohol, lots of stress in that period of going from communism into the, you know, the capitalist mm. world. Mm. Terrible rates of heart disease. Mm. Places though like France and the Mediterranean have lower rates, always had. Well, we have a Mediterranean rates, diet. Our rates have been coming down since the 70s. Okay. So we're no longer the sick man of Europe. We're kind of middle of the pack, but a lot better than we were. So I think it's really important to realize that we have made a huge amount of progress. And um, 
That is good, and that's because our diets have changed and smoking mm. rates have gone down and we're more active. It's you know? lovely. So it's, yeah. it's good to see yeah. that. What I, what I worry about slightly for the future is all the screen time with young people, you know, and I mean toddlers upwards, where actually they're getting tuned into a very inactive life where you just worry about their habits that they start mm. in, in, in mm. their life, about how much exercise they do and how much activity. So we'll see how that goes. Childhood oh. obesity is a yeah. big problem. Martin, that is a whole other podcast. I mean, yes. we could talk for a whole several hours. My actual master's degree was in obesity. Okay. And something I'm extremely passionate yeah. about is trying yeah. to help the future generations. Yes. Oh, I'm so happy I'm not a a child in this day and age with social media and technology. But the World Health Organization also refers to socioeconomic kind of status being a risk factor. Mm. So obviously the different discrepancies in the UK for heart disease with the most deprived areas of England being 30% more likely to have high blood pressure. I mean, how can we change this? What, what, What do you think it is? Is it the city, the infrastructure? I think it's a huge number of different factors. Mm. I think there's always been a gradient and you know, a kind of difference between wealthy versus less wealthy people yeah. in terms of vascular disease, heart disease. Mm. It relates partly to uh, lifestyle issues. Now, when you say lifestyle, it's like smoking, it's like diet, but it kind of gives the impression it's about choice. Sounds trendy these days, you know. (laughs) It's it's less about choice. If Mm. you have a very stressful life and no money to spend, then you end up having to feed your family with very inexpensive, rapidly um, available food, which tends to be full of salt, full of fat. But what are you supposed to do if you're 17 stories up a tower block and you've got no time and very little money? It's not really about choice at all. No. It's about... um, availability and mm. how much you have to spend on things. Mm. Very easy to have, you know, an expensive salad and a small glass of Chardonnay if you've got no job to do and you've got plenty mm. of time. Mm. So I think it's less about choice and more about what you're forced into. But yeah. that's not an excuse to not do anything about it. No. I think it is possible on any budget to make healthier choices. I agree. And to invest in your family's future. I think for all of us, we want our kids to have a better life than we've had. And so wherever you are, you can make healthier choices. But let's not blame people because it's not really choice for many of them. I'm so glad we've kind of reiterated that. I hear it all too often. It's very easy for someone to point the finger of blame or label somebody with a certain... um, disadvantage or advantage but actually we're all dealt a card in life and it's how we go about dealing with the card that we get and ultimately we can probably make differences if we've just got to want to do it as well we've got to encourage people i think to want to help their children and want to help the future generations and education has to also come not just from the government but from the home as you say so Yep. Many different factors there. I know there's not a one size fits all, but eating on a budget. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit very quickly because you can do it. Frozen food, tinned foods, packeted goods. Actually, now there's so many healthy varieties out there and you can bulk buy things. But media headlines don't help when they say things like carbohydrates make you put on weight. Whereas actually, if most people invested in some good whole, you know, whole milk kind of pasta, brown rice in the house... They'd be fine. Yes. So there is a big difference now when we're looking at the different accessibility and the variety of foods. But to support the notion that there's no one size fits all, there is emerging research suggesting genetics affect the way our bodies respond to certain foods. 
Have you heard of this? Because obviously you said at the beginning, cholesterol is also genetic. Yeah, so cholesterol is very genetic and different components of your circulating cholesterol are influenced by that very strongly. So we mentioned, you know, this familial hyperlipidemia, which is campaigns about where you're born with a sky high cholesterol. And that's really got to be picked up. And then you can get treatment for that. And that doesn't have a link to perhaps the parents' health status. It's just complete. It's genetic. So you'll have inherited the genes from your parents. That's so so tragic. um, But similarly for, you know, a lot of I'm Scottish in origin. Mm. And in Scotland, many men consider their birthright to die of heart problems. Their grandfather did, their father did, and so they think, well, I'm not surprised I've got heart problems. Everybody in my family's got heart problems. And that's kind of like, <gasps> I can't do anything about it. Attitude is something people are now having to break and say, mm. actually, whatever genes you've been given, mm. you've got choice, and you can pick things up early, you can mm. make healthier lifestyle choices. I'm so actually a good example future. of that. Really? Every male member of my family died young of heart disease, okay. and... Yeah, even my own father has his own battles with it. So, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Very close to home. (laughs) Uh, But do you think we could be making nutritional recommendations that are tailored individually? Is there more we can do there? I think we will be. Yeah. And the whole of medicine is becoming more personalized. So it's less about, let me try and put you in a kind of category or a box Mm. and describe you in a certain Mm. way, but more looking at you as an individual and saying, okay, these are your genes, this is your environment, this is your choices. How do we improve things and where should we target your efforts? rather than worrying about something that's not going to happen, where should we target it? So that's the dream. I think in terms of heart health, actually, we don't really need to know much about your genetics. Um, We know what the factors are, and they Mm. apply to everybody. Mm. So actually, a healthy lifestyle and healthy diet recommendations really cover the board. It's it's the same um, non-kind of, I'm going to say sexy cell, because it is a balanced, healthy lifestyle with everything in moderation Mm. that we should all be preaching. And on that note, we have lots of questions from followers. So people that want to ask you for your expert advice, Now, obviously, it's very difficult to give bespoke advice over a podcast, but we will see what comes. Poppy has said, should I be opting for low fat or full fat yogurt in the supermarkets? I never know which one is healthiest, especially because now they've changed again and are all full of sugar. Yes. So I I think dairy is is an important part of the diet for Mm. us all. And it's about the amount that you're taking Mm. and then just looking at the other elements of your diet. But yogurt's very nice. It's great to cook with. It's great to use to other things. Oh, it's it's so good in a curry, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you're the expert in that. So you can give people (laughs) advice about that. So for me, it's it's much less about thinking of foods as either bad or good. It's about the balance of fat and putting together a tasty meal that you want to eat and not too much of it. So I think most of us, actually, it's about counting down the quantity rather than making huge changes to the types of food that we eat. Couldn't agree more. Quality and quantity, Poppy, of your diet. And we don't know what your whole diet is like on a whole. So actually, you could be benefiting immensely from having some full-fat yogurt in your diet. I wouldn't worry too much about that. It's what you do every day that counts really over the long period of time. Emily has asked, when I feel really stressed, my heart almost feels like it misses a beat every now and again. Is this normal? So palpitations, I'm guessing, and things? Yes, palpitations. So the heart's designed to speed up when you have to exercise or if you're stressed, you kind of fight or flight response. And that's because of the adrenaline that's being pumped into your system. So, Mm. you know, you're alive, your heart's racing, you're feeling anxious, you know, that's just being human. Um, sometimes people are more conscious of palpitations than others. Okay. If it's only just an extra beat, you feel a sudden thump, that's usually completely 
harmless. Right. You don't have to worry about it too much. The more you worry about it, the more you will notice it and the okay. more you'll get the trigger. But what if it's a frequent thing that so someone's getting if like daily or weekly palpitations? Yeah, and if it, the palpitations last for minutes at a time and yeah. you can feel your heart racing and you feel breathless and all of those things, then definitely you should get it checked out. Yeah. But if it's only just a, a little thing Flutter. now and again, yeah. then that's your human. Your heart's so interesting. I've been watching way too much Grey's Anatomy and I know that's not, <laughs> <laughs> not an accurate indicator of what happens probably but I feel like there's so many situations where they pull out the um, the pads and they'll shock you and yes. everything's exaggerated. Yeah, no, that, absolutely that's not going to happen I don't think. <laughs> no I think, think you're fine Emily hopefully. Um, Mark says which type of exercise is best for cardiovascular health? Well I think advice has changed slightly over the last two or three decades and it's one it's about doing exercise you like doing because you're going to do it more often and not just do it in sort of the month of January and then stop. That's what many gyms <laughs> manage to survive on, all the people that they don't do. go there. They make all their money in January. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a little bit of cardiovascular, so getting your heart rate up and doing some general exercise of big muscle groups is great, but then also some resistance training as well. And I think because it's a man asking this question, many gyms, testosterone, supplementation is endemic and mm -hmm. nearly every young person mm -hmm. thinks about taking it that mm -hmm. does have serious health consequences yes you might have a big chest and big arms but those drugs are really strong they can have effects on your liver and heart so best to avoid them um, they are rife. I'm really pleased you've brought those up, um, especially on a social media kind of platform. So many people are taking different forms yep. of steroids, things yep. that they should not be. Indeed, and I see young men that come to me with heart failure because the heart muscle has failed because of all this testosterone they're pumping yeah. into their system. Now, I understand, of course, the cosmetic side of looking great. But on the other hand, you've got to realize there are risks to it. So a little bit of cardiovascular exercise, a little bit of resistance and do some form of exercise you like doing. No, very good. Um, Jen, Jen has said, my father died of a heart disease. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jen. Um, he ate lots of red meat. Is going vegan going to reduce my risk? I think anything, probably just not eating red meat every day would be the helpful step to do. I yeah. don't think you need to go to the most extreme end of yeah. that unless you want to. Um, but, you know, just gentle changes are probably sufficient. Remember, it's an investment policy over the rest of your life. It's not mm. just a sudden dramatic change mm. um, that's, that's necessary. And I would add there, Jen, that um, I hear this a lot, that, oh, veganism may cure heart disease or veganism will have an impact on my health altogether. You can also be a very unhealthy vegan, and it's more of an ethical, maybe sustainable choice rather than a, a type of diet. It's more of a lifestyle. So, but You should yeah. definitely get a cholesterol check, particularly if her yes. father had a heart problem at a very early age. Mm. Then get your cholesterol check just in case you're one of the 1% or 2% that's got familial okay. hyperlipidemia we're talking yeah. about, the FH yeah. syndrome. Yeah, and will your GP just do that? GP you. should be able to do it. Just say that you've got a very strong family history. Okay. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And they can arrange the test for you. There you go, Jen. Okay, so the last question is from Will. He says, how often does heart disease affect young people? Oh, I guess we kind of covered that, but... Yeah, uh, in firing up of the arteries, tends mm. to get more caught as you get older. Yeah. So it'd be unusual for somebody to have a heart attack in their 20s. Okay. Occasionally people have in their 30s, though. Um, and then as soon as you get into the 40s and 50s, it's not so uncommon, particularly mm. in Europe. Mm. Um, but of course, you can be born with heart problems. Well, holes in the heart. Disease, we hear exactly. about people yes. running marathons. Yeah, and yes. uh, What happens there? Could you just touch well, on There's that? a whole range of things you can be born with. Yeah. Um, and some of them very serious and will have a huge impact on your life. Others might much minor um, but people are now living into um, 
middle age with mm-hmm. that and we now have operations that children can have and older adults and it's a it's a fascinating area of development so yeah. more and more people are living long term with heart mm. problems so I think one of the key messages is just because you have a diagnosis of a heart problem doesn't mean it's the end of life it's no. about getting on and making the most of the rest of your yeah. life which hopefully will be many years yeah. but a flag to the family yeah. If you've developed that, then yeah. the rest of the family need to be checked out. You're right. It's fascinating. One of my favorite models in my first degree was definitely looking at the anatomy of the heart mm. and, and trying to understand it. And they've now got types of cardiology, don't they, that, that are is it called interventional cardiology? Interventional cardiology. That? Yes, indeed. Yeah. And that blows my mind, quite frankly, the fact that you can see someone's heart without opening their chest anymore. Oh, yes. You can replace valves. You yeah. can put stents in arteries. You can do all sorts of things without having to open up the chest. So cardiac surgeons have been looking around for work no I'm joking but <laughs> less less things to do and more things yeah. that are easily done with a much yeah. faster recovery time so I think one of the issues particularly for male listeners if I can be really sexist is mm-hmm. that men try to ignore health problems mm-hmm. and then if they do have a health problem they often kind of deny the impact and try and compartmentalize it into a part of their life you don't need to do that there's lots mm-hmm. of things that can be done mm-hmm. and the whole aim is to get you back to even more active and fitter life than you were before. So yeah. often it's a good sign to know about it so you can make changes for the future. Wonderful. Well, wonderful answers there for you guys. Now we're going to be moving on to my favourite part of the podcast. So this is called Fact or Fiction. Now, are you ready? I'm ready. Braced, shall I say. <laughs> Let's see how we go. Okay, so if you answer as quickly as you can, a fact or fiction, and we do allow people to expand on each answer. Right. Exercise reduces the risk of heart disease. Fact. We should avoid dairy to reduce the risk of heart disease. Mm, That's kind of between fact and fiction. Some dairy is okay, but don't do it too much. There you go. Good answer. Having a high cholesterol is unhealthy. Yes, that's fact. Walking is enough to keep your heart healthy. Well, it helps. It's another in-between one. It helps. Mm. It won't make you immune to heart problems. No, but how fast help. do you walk? Exactly. Do you break into a slight sweat? Are you doing it at least three times a week? Those kind of questions would be my follow-ups. There we go. Ethnic origins can change risk to heart disease. Absolute fact. So, for Ooh. example, in the UK, if your family is Southeast Asian mm. genetic origin... Um, you've got a much higher risk of developing heart problems at an earlier age. So a lot of men in the Asian communities Mm. will develop angina or heart attacks in their 30s as opposed to 40s or 50s. Mm. It's a combination of diabetes, which is more common, Mm. also central fatness, adiposity, um, and it's just that the gene background is different. Mm. So you have to take things very seriously in that community. You just mm. really have to think about your risk factors. Which reminded me a little thing. I know I'm interrupting the quick fire round, but fat around the middle is a dangerous area of fat. Yes, indeed. It's better if it's not round your middle. Yes, there we go. Okay, stopping smoking at any age reduces the risk of heart disease. Fact. Eating fat makes us fat. Ooh. Um, <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> I, I like that. So that that's fine. Um, margarine is healthier than butter. Uh, fiction. Heart disease rates are declining. Fact. Yay. People who regularly eat breakfast tend to have lower rates of heart disease. Well, increasing evidence that might be true. I'm not oh. sure, actually. There's a paper just published today in the European Journal of Cardiac Prevention 
helped after a heart attack, those that not skipping breakfast and not having their main meal last thing at night before going to bed seem to do very much better. So that's, you know, I joked this morning about, you know, skipping breakfast as being a bad thing. It may actually not be great. I don't know. I should be asking you the question. You used to say feast Feast like a king for breakfast mm, and then less mm. and less through the day. What do you think? So this this is a very interesting area. I am of the belief that for most people that may be true. However, of course, everyone is unique and some people will thrive off not having breakfast in mm. the morning. It depends on their kind of lifestyle and day-to-day thing. But we also know that people that eat breakfast are dear to healthier habits in general, yeah. which is something that yeah, we can't just deny. Be a marker of that. Yes. And it, for some people, it's their main source of nutrition in the day that yep. they'll be getting in is early in the morning so and especially for children we're having this debate as well that actually children have a much higher energy requirement than adults so they need to be having their three yes, meals a day breakfast yeah, yeah. absolutely so there, there we go so that nearly wraps up this episode but as with every guest we finish with a food for thought so mine today With heart disease undoubtedly the world's biggest killer, it is important that along with regular exercise, we make an effort to include healthy heart foods as part of our diets. And as we've touched on, there is no black or white with foods. We know that it's overall things that make a difference, not one item. But this does include lots of fruit and veg as they provide vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, things that help protect your heart. And as a nation, we do eat too much salt which we have discussed a lot it can have such an adverse effect on our health and with 75 percent of the salt we eat already contained in the food we buy try swapping salt for spices when it comes to flavoring your foods at home that can also be an option there it's advised to eat two portions of oily fish a week since they contain omega-3 which may have benefits for heart health. In fact, do I'm going to interrupt my food for thought there and pull and pull you in. Have you heard about the links between omega-3 and heart health? Yeah, there's been a long um, history of doing studies of that. Mm. And I think the consensus is that omega-3 is good for you. Mm. And oily fish, particularly good, but avoid it when it comes and laced with oil or whatever it is. On it depends how you, how you... Yeah. Buy it. Yeah. Yes, and there's even been a big study now of supplements with omega-3 mm, which mm. suggests that there may be some heart benefit to it. So I think the yeah. dietary advice is oily fish twice a week is probably is. is very good advice. Okay, there you go. Because remember, some of this can be bought in really affordable tins. So try to stick to the healthy types, like we said, in water as opposed to sunflower oil or brine. So you've got the real deal there. However, some things now are not classified as oily fish. Tuna is no longer a source of oil fish we've now been told by the government very disappointing i love a tuna steak but we should also be eating more fiber so since the vast majority of us do not consume the recommended 30 grams a day fiber may also help to keep us full and healthy so martin if we could ask you to leave our listeners with one thing that you really think will benefit them your food for thought what would that be it's never too late to invest in your future heart health that would be my thing whatever age Whatever issues, whatever family history, think about your heart health, make some fun changes to your lifestyle, and you'll reap the benefits. Straight to the point. Such a perfect, poignant food for thought there to end with. And as he said, I could not say it better myself. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It really is heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. So we'd really appreciate it. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com, subscribe to my newsletter, and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.